Everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Boundless Show. This is episode number one for the year 2024. How are you all doing? Hopefully, you made it through the holidays and you are ready to look ahead to a new year. I know I am. I'm just going to be honest. Okay. That said, let me give you a little preview of what we're going to talk about on this show as I do every week. Uh, First up, later on for our inbox, we have a listener who's frustrated that their church doesn't seem to have a lot for singles who are a little bit older, like say, well, they're saying like late 20s and up. So, wow. Okay. That's rough. Um, They want to know what can they do. So I'm going to weigh in with a few ideas on that. And then for our culture segment, we have Kate and JJ Tomlin back from the popular Heart of Dating podcast. And for part two of our conversation with them, they are going to answer your questions, mostly about relationships. So you know what? And they're newly married. So hopefully they know some stuff. So we'll see. Okay, that'll be fun. But here we are for our roundtable. We have got our friends, Bree, Ryan, and John here. Hey, y'all. Hello. Hello, hello. hello. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. How are you guys doing with it? Feeling good? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. So far, so good. We're here. Okay. Well, that is a very good segue into the conversation or the topic of our roundtable today, which is maintaining optimism in a new year. And really not just maintaining it. Some of us need to just bring optimism into the new year if we're feeling a little bit ho-hum about where last year was. And this is something that in past years, sometimes we circle back around to just to have this conversation to do a temperature check on everyone. And so I think it's good um, with some of our stalwarts here. You guys have been on the show many times, two of you part of the Boundless team and Ryan kind of adopted um, into the Boundless fray. As we learned today, you know, he is a Boundless show listener, even on the ones that he's not on. So we're pleased to hear that. I I just re-listen to him. Okay. (laughs) The ones you're on? You just have them on repeat? Okay. Uh, Shower in the shower. Okay. Well, that's a topic for another time. But anyway, (laughs) we'll go ahead and talk about this year. Instead, and I would say, okay, when you talk about optimism, because people know, you guys listening, come on, you know that I've said before that I'm an optimist. I feel like, and and the naysayers like really bring me down. I I hate it. So now I'm not like weird, like Pollyanna, rose-colored glasses all the time. I can be a little bit like, eh, realist, whatever. But would you guys say here at the table, are you pretty optimistic about this new year? Are you feeling kind of down about it? Are you somewhere in between? Or have you literally not even thought about this yet? I'm learning to be. (laughs) I'm learning to be more of an optimist. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. He's my my project, y'all, for, you know, optimism uh, training. I've been told on the surface that I come across as an optimist. Uh Internally, though, my goodness, if you could see behind these green eyes. (laughs) Oh, my word. (laughs) Well, Uh, I think it it is funny because people would say, John, that you're just so, like, nice and so positive about everything. I think they maybe mistakenly translate that Mm -hmm. to he's just happy clappy all the time. Right. No, it's actually it's something that I'm learning to get better at, and I've actually gotten kind of convicted for being a little bit too negative at times in my internal thought processes. Something that has helped me, though, is actually being more honest with a few of my close friends when I'm feeling down and just kind of seeing the compassion that they show me and just being able to listen to more of my story. That actually has happened a couple of times recently where I've really opened up to a few of my friends and the way they've treated me has just been fantastic. And that actually has really helped me to go, wait a minute, I don't need to be so negative about this. Mm-hmm. So good. learning to not carry those burdens alone. Okay. How about you, Ryan? Oh, I'm extremely optimistic about this next year. Okay. I'm just, just this year or are you generally I'm extremely optimistic, optimistic all period. the time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> this year included. All mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Anything in particular that you're looking forward to or why you're optimistic? Um. Well, I look at Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 4.18. It says, The path of the righteous is like the ever-rising sun that gets brighter and brighter until the full dawn. That's that's my verse. Mm. That's for me. Mm-hmm. I No matter what I walk into, my path that has been set for me by Jesus, 
uh, is one that gets brighter and brighter. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not rocks in the path that I stumble over. That doesn't mean that sometimes a horse doesn't come running across it and absolutely trample me. But my path itself gets brighter. Okay. So. That's cool. All right, Bree. Yeah, I'd say for this year, I am definitely optimistic, and I am an optimistic person in general. But the end of 2023 was a lot of sickness for my family and even extended family and like random surgeries and stuff. And so it was almost like a, a rock bottom of sorts. And so we can only go up from here, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm trying to be very optimistic. No surgeries, no sickness, starting out 2024 with a bang. Yeah, that's good. I feel like that's kind of where I was um, as well at the end of last year. Just feeling like, oh, I just can't catch a break. I was sick multiple times, just walking through a bunch of stuff. And I remember just talking even to someone today as I was walking through the hall and just talking about like, hey, you know, the one thing that I know is that God is already ahead of me on my journey. So whatever that looks like, it's not nothing, you know, surprises God. He's not like, oh, my goodness, what's going on with Lisa over there? You know, I need to intervene or something. He just he just knows. And so there's nothing. I think it was Kay Arthur that said, maybe I've said this before on the show. Kay Arthur said, there's nothing that is going to happen to me that isn't filtered through the loving hand of God. And so there's nothing that can touch me apart from what he has already okayed, you know? So I think that's very, uh, very encouraging at that point. So, um, okay, but how, whether you're looking back at the previous year or whether it's just stuff in general, I mean, I think all of us, okay, I'm a little older than y'all. I think a lot of people, even when I talk to older people than me, it seems like once you start putting some years on, and I mean, those of you, you know, no one in this room is 21 anymore, okay? So <laughs> even as you put on one year, two year, you're into your 20s, late 20s, now you hit your 30s and whatever, you can start feeling like just more of the pressures of life start weighing on you, whether it's financial stuff, whether it's relationships, whether it's people in your periphery, just people that have, you know, their their decisions or their lives affect you. How do you keep from being cynical about that? Or even as we look at stuff totally out of our control, like, hi, uh, the world, you know, and just other things that are going on. um, What does that look like for you guys in maintaining a sense of trust and perspective? It's funny you bring that up because at the time of this recording, we've been weeks into some serious conflict in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the whole world has kind of been on pins and needles throughout that time. Something I've had to remind myself of throughout this whole process, because I've wanted to keep up with it. I've wanted to know, hey, what's going on is the news can give us information, but it is told through a fear lens, Mm -hmm. just being very honest, whether no matter if you watch a liberal source or if you watch a conservative source, most all of it is going to be through that fear lens. Mm -hmm. And I have to remind myself, hey, I can digest the facts, but I can't dwell on what they're reporting too long because most of the time they're not actually striving for a resolution. They're just wanting to get your emotions ramped up. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a little harsh to say, but it is important to recognize that and just realize, hey, Ultimately, God is still on the throne. He's not rocked off his throne because of what has happened. Um, But at the same time, when I take in the information, the one thing God's given me control over is how I respond. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I can hear some really, really tough news that's going on in the world, but I can choose to respond in prayer. I can choose to pray for people or I can choose to fret and worry about it. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, that was honestly what I was going to say, too, was just the prayer element of it, of when I come across something that it would be easy to become cynical towards. I talk to God about it, and our God is sovereign, and I know that his will is going to be done, and that if nothing else, there's a second coming that we can look forward to. And so I just think it's it's aligning my heart with his and continuing to just lift up any any kind of situation like that up in prayer because mm-hmm. God listens. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I've often said, and I feel like I've learned this more even in the last decade, how really our faith and our belief is a muscle that is trained. You know, you so don't just true. say like, oh, God. You know, I mean, the the last thing you want to do is wait for your life to be a dumpster fire. And mm-hmm. then you're like, okay. I guess I better bring God into this because now I can't do anything about it. Well, you know what? Even when things are good, you're not doing anything about it. So 
<laughs> I feel like, you know, and I've said this before on the show, others have said it before me, that really the root of all sin is unbelief. And for us to really put our eggs in God's basket and realize that he's the only sure thing we have going on. He's the only sure bet. And I think that will train us toward faith uh, and towards a belief. And prayer is a great mus- is a great way to exercise that muscle and start walking through that, even in the good times. And mm-hmm. to just say, God, whatever is in my hand, what it, the good, the bad, the in-between, you know, I'm trusting you with it. So, yeah, good point. Yeah, and that to— Bree's point into your point, that's kind of how I handle it. Um, my life is rooted in my identity in Christ. And there is no circumstance that can change that. So when I look at the Bible and I see promises about me, I am more than a conqueror. That is said and done. It's set. Now, what happens when circumstances happen that don't align with what that looks like? That doesn't change my identity. That doesn't change my position with Christ. That doesn't change what Christ has done. That doesn't change the will of God. It's just a circumstance. So the way I'm able to... In- interpret and hear all this horrible information from across the world, you know, it says there will be wars and rumors of wars, Um, that doesn't affect me because my identity is not changed. So every day when I go home, I may have heard horrible news and I may have, you know, heard about current events that I would rather not hear about. And yet at the same time, my identity is still rooted in Christ. Mm -hmm. My identity is still rooted in what the Bible says about me, what God says about me. It doesn't matter what the world says about me. All that matters is what God says about me. And at the end of the day, when I go home, that's all I have with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would say, let's turn a corner a little bit, you know, taking all that into consideration. um, I would consider everyone at this table to be some level of kind of a go-getter person, you know, not really, (laughs) you know, no one here is just like, I don't know about my life. I'm just going to let it go. (laughs) Whatever. Okay, but that said, here's what derails us. Other people um, can freak us out. You know, like like Ryan said, circumstances, whatever. We feel like if you're a person who is, um, let me just put it mildly, a control freak like mm-hmm. I am, it's very difficult sometimes to reconcile the stuff that you have in your sights and where you think you're going and what you want to do and how you want to go after growth when – other people or circumstances or, you know, sins done against you, other people's unbelief, their fears when that affects you. And so how do you balance wishful thinking of like, oh, I just wish these people would get out of my life or be better people or not be so ridiculous or whatever with actually being hopeful for change and growth in your relationships, especially with people that Quite frankly, you just can't get rid of. Okay, <laughs> I mean, you've got coworkers, you've got family members, you've got people. What does it look like in those situations that maybe you don't own all the control? I read a fantastic book by Lisa Turkhurst very recently called "Forgiving What You Can't Forget," hmm. and it really kind of helped me to realize that at the end of the day, God's only given us responsibility for ourselves. Hmm. That is kind of a hard pill to swallow, and I'm a firstborn. So mm-hmm. I, I'm the type, I remember, I, I almost felt like at times I was the third parent with my younger siblings. I wasn't very good at it <laughs> growing mm-hmm. up now. Now we're more focused on being friends. But at that time, I would sometimes try to really kind of force them into making it a good decision. And it never worked out really well. Mm-hmm. But reading Lisa's book helped me see that, hey, I'm a full-time job And God has given me responsibility for my Mm -hmm. own heart. And even if people make decisions that are sinful and that I disagree with, I've got to take it to the Lord. Mm -hmm. I can't try to carry that burden on my own. I have to accept the fact that they have a free will. And even if I disagree with their decisions, I can still love from a distance even if I have to set boundaries in place. It's not an easy thing to do whatsoever, but... The more I have come to that realization, the more freedom it's brought to realize, hey, God's given me responsibility for me, so therefore I'm going to seek him with all my heart. Uh, For me, it just comes down to communication and faith in God. Through my prayer life um, and being able to communicate with God, I... I think I have some direction in what, I, in, in what I'm going towards, and I think God is leading me in that. And because of that, I have faith in that. And just like how Abraham was the founder of, of our faith, I follow in Abraham's footsteps. So Abraham 
in faith, you know, by it says uh, in Hebrews 11, like by faith, Abraham went towards the promise, went towards the promised land of what God had promised him, not knowing where that was. By faith, he lived in tents. By faith, he walked the road. By faith, he went towards a city who he had not heard of, yet the architect and founder was God. By faith, he did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb, nor the age of his own body. And all those things are out of his control. Mm-hmm. But the key point in there is by faith, he heard and by faith, he went. And so when you're talking about things that are out of your control, the deadness of Sarah's womb, the the age of Abraham's body, he can't make himself younger. Like a skincare routine is great, but that doesn't really bring back fertility. So he's kind of at the end. And yet God said, you'll be the father of many nations. And so what he said was, okay. And there's a lot of things he did wrong. (laughs) There's a lot of times he didn't act, I would say, in perfect faith. And there's a lot of things that didn't go according to plan. And yet he is considered the founder of our faith. If you read Hebrews 11 and you come away thinking that Abraham was like some sop, (laughs) I would recommend reading it again. And so my responsibility, I feel like my position, the only thing I can do is just try to act like him. When I hear God say something, or if I believe God is leading me towards something, by faith, I go after that. And when circumstances and people, especially people, <laughs> come in your way and act and try to stop you from that, and they act not according to the plan it was supposed to be, maybe you are living in tents, maybe you are getting derailed, and yet, by faith, you keep going forward. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to control, I think it's wishful thinking for me to believe that I actually have control over anything. And I think that it's actually way more important to put my genuine hope in God because he actually has control. And so I think it's just, it's weighing that one against the other of like, does Bree want to control this or do I want to actually let God control it like he already does? Do I want to acknowledge his control of it? And I think that that kind of helps me get through those kinds of situations. Mm-hmm. So what, um, what, keeping that in mind, what does it look like for you guys to be active in the pursuit of things you want to see happen in your life? Good things. I mean, even things that are in, in line with God's will and then also trusting God. So that idea of like, you know, not getting caught up in, well, here's the one thing, you know, because we know scripture says, you know, don't say tomorrow I'm going to do this or do that or be here or be there. We know that there are no guarantees. But at the same time, God calls us to be active in our own growth and in our own faith and stuff. So how do you balance the two without getting ahead of yourself? Well, uh, James Clear has a book called Atomic Habits. And what's funny is I haven't actually read it, but I went to a leadership summit where he presented And something that he said in that presentation was that change really only comes from small 1% changes. And when I'm really working on growth of myself, I am trying to figure out, like, what does it look like to make a 1% change in this area in my life? And oftentimes what I found success in is at the end of the day, I try to reflect on, okay, what was the 1% change I did today of, like, okay, if this was my goal— I, you know, I made this decision instead of this one, and that was a 1% change, and I think that's really helpful. And then another thing that he says is that you can believe something new about yourself, which I think isn't often something that we hear in society. I think, I don't know, I feel like we tend to believe that we're just stuck in our ways and wherever we've put ourselves, we're stuck there, and that's not true. You can believe something new about yourself, and you can change things. You can grow, and I think it starts with believing that. This may sound a little woo-woo, uh, but one of my mentors told me— We'll let you know. <laughs> uh, one of my mentors told me the best things in life are are attracted, not pursued. And he didn't mean that as in like, you know, law of attraction just manifested. What he means is if you really want something in life, don't try to go after that thing. Instead, become somebody who can handle that. So if mm. you want to be a great leader, don't focus on trying to get into a position of leadership— Focus on being a great leader and you will be put into a position of great leadership. Uh, Proverbs says the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slothful will lead to task work. So in that, when you folk like, you know, just what like Bree was saying, when you focus on growth, when you focus on uh, seed time and harvest and being part of a living ecosystem where, you know, everything that God made 
is supposed to be fruitful and multiply and grow in nature. If you go out and you see a tree that's two feet tall and then 20 years later it's two feet tall, there's something wrong. It's unnatural. It's weird. So focusing on on growing, focusing on trying to become somebody who can handle and be that which you really want and to belabor the point of hope again, you know, uh, Romans 4, it says, uh, against all hope, Abraham hoped. So when God says something, don't just, you know, hope a little bit. And then when something contrary happens, give up all hope, hope against hope and keep hoping and keep aiming for it and know that, you know, God says, uh, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall also remain. And so if you are putting in the work, if you're planting the seeds and you're tending the field and you're doing that which is happening, then just have faith that he who has called you will equip you and will put you in a place that you deserve to be. Yeah, great thoughts from both of you guys there. I had to do a little bit of a look back on what were some things that worked for me this year. And I kind of want to tie this back to the Trinity a little bit. And you think about how the God we worship is God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. So we worship a God who is a community within himself. And it reminds me of the fact that when I look back on stuff that worked for me, whether it was fitness goals or reading goals, it I had the most success when I was doing it with somebody, not when I was trying to be self-motivated. Mm-hmm. The self-motivation was good. And I tend to be, uh, one of my working strengths is tenacity. So I tend to love to work hard, but I can only go so far when I'm only self-motivated. When I've got somebody who's really keeping me accountable, it just does something motivational wise that I can't do by myself. Mm-hmm. And I remember back in August and September, I was really trying hard to live a healthier lifestyle. And one of the reasons that it worked that I was actually finally able to start making progress in that area is I was giving my dad weekly text updates and saying, Hey, here's how I'm doing. Here's an area that I can see coming up where I'm going to be having to go to a lot of meetings and there's a lot of temptation for me to eat a lot of food that I really want to eat that isn't healthy for me. But I was giving him updates and saying, hey, I need I need you to keep me accountable here. Can you please do that? So just really involving other people in your goals. And one thing I will say about that, it's best to involve somebody who is going to draw the best out of you. Don't involve somebody who is going to drag you down from your goals as your accountability partner. Find somebody who will encourage you, but also try to push you when necessary. Yeah, that's good. All right. Final question, and you don't get to explain it or anything. You're just going to fill in the blank, okay? We're all going to answer this. And this is (laughs) you fast forward to January of 2025, and you're going to fill in this blank. I did blank in 2024. I spent time with my family doing lots of adventures. Hmm. That's funny. I know you've talked about that, Bree. That's really fun. Yeah, you it's, want to it's do a more continuous goal. Just <laughs> taking advantage of even, you know, little trips and day yeah. stuff and all that. That's cool. Yeah, like it doesn't have to be a big excursion. Wait, we're not supposed to explain it. So. Oh, whoa. Um, I was just explaining it for you. What I know. Own, going back on my own role. Sorry about that. I just was so intrigued by it. Okay, Ryan, you answer it. I grew in 2024 taller <laughs> <laughs> we have to leave that open to interpretation oh, all right I mean, john please god make me talk hopefully god willing can say that some of the people i've prayed to see come to christ that i've had that the prayers have been answered mm, um would good. be a huge one yeah. there's a few family members that i'm praying for right now to receive the lord so if this time next year i can say that they've given their life to christ that'd be huge and a personal goal would be more consistent with my reading time Okay. So not I, I one of the things I struggled with in 2023 is I'd have spurts where I was great and spurts where I wasn't. So I'd like to say I was more consistent. Perfect. My answer would be I focused more on mindfulness in the moment in 2024 and I was more specifically sensitive to the Holy Spirit in decisions and circumstances. So that's it. We'll see. Okay, check in back in 2025. We'll see. We'll go back and re-listen to this. So <laughs> thanks, you guys, so much for your comments. Thanks, Lisa. Thank yeah, you, Lisa. Absolutely. Thank you. Your love is so deep. Your love is so wide. It stretches so far and reaches so high. Oh, this love you have for me. 
fear in all of my doubt your love is enough it never runs out oh this love that makes me sing there is nothing in the All right, folks. Well, we are here for this week's culture segment. We are welcoming back, believe it or not, straddling two years, uh, the end of 2023. And now our first culture segment of 2024. We're back with Kate and JJ Tomlin. Hey, welcome back, you two. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Lisa. (laughs) Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I know. This is so crazy. So this is really fun. Well, I had promised everyone, and those of you that are listening who got all caught up in the holidays and didn't listen to last week, you can go back uh, because we actually get Kate and JJ's story of dating, which she was dating him when we talked to her last time um, in 2021 and uh, talked about her book, Thank You for Rejecting Me. Um, But now they are back. They are married. Um, They are expecting a baby. I didn't even say that last week. So that's like my (laughs) New Year's announcement for them. Okay. (laughs) I forgot to mention that last week. So that's super fun. Um, But they are going to this week straight up answer questions that you guys have submitted. So first of all, thank you to those of you who uh, asked a question. Some of them we tried to kind of combine so that everyone's questions could get answered and hopefully categorize some of them. So uh, these two are, for those of you who know, they are speakers. They uh, are podcast hosts, the Heart of Dating podcast uh, that they are both now co-hosting, which is really fun. They do relationship coaching. Uh, they are in Southern California and just doing just doing a lot of great things and encouraging <laughs> folks just like yourself to do relationships well and to honor God in the process. And so um, I personally want to welcome you two back. So super great to have you. All right. So are happy you... to be here. <laughs> super. <laughs> are you guys ready for this? Because we're just going to start asking Let's these go. questions and make you go for it. Okay. Let's rapid fire. We're here we ready. Go. Let's go. I'm rolling up my All sleeves. Right. <laughs> the first question that we have um, is someone wants to know one or two things that you really wish you would have known before getting married to each other. <laughs> I guess I that's like kind of open-ended. You could go anywhere with that. so funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, I will say I'm so grateful that we did both pre-engagement and premarital counseling. We did both those things. So we covered so much ground before marriage, which I do highly recommend. Some people, you know, they go into marriage like thinking this person can do absolutely no wrong and mm-hmm. they have very little flaws. And I say, if you have that perspective, you're going to have a massive rude awakening <laughs> when you get married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you you realize, hey, that this is not a perfect person and I'm not a perfect person. But, you know, one of the things I guess I wish I'd known before getting married um, would just be how different we are with planning lives and planning our life out. And as a married couple, you no longer do things solo. You do things together. You know, we're planning our weekends together. We're planning our weeks together. And that's very different than when I was single, just planning my own life as an individual woman. And so I would say there's a lot of challenges that come into just planning and syncing up your lives and realizing, oh, yeah, I'm considering my spouse now. I'm not just like making plans without them knowing. I'm looping them into my plans. And so that's very small, but I think that's been a big thing and big learning curve over the last year for both of us. It's a great answer. Mine's a little bit deeper, if that's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> great. <laughs> Not that I'm deeper than Kate. No. Sometimes. No, I'm okay. Um, you know, honestly, uh, I heard a pastor say this the other day. He said, um, the only thing that changes about you when you get married is your tax filing status and your zip code. Um, 
as in like you're moving somewhere and, and that's it. As far as your individual self, you're still the same man the day before the wedding and the day after the wedding. And I think a lot of times I waited uh, until marriage and for my wife to complain about something or bring it up as feedback for me to take it seriously and action it. Um, you know, everything that I left uh, undisciplined, untreated, basically cared for surfaced within the first week, first months, first year of marriage. And I mean, like the really refined stuff, the stuff that doesn't really come out in community group, the stuff that is just you and God and kind of lurking underneath the surface. So I would just say, don't wait for marriage and for conflict in marriage to be the force function for you to go seek treatment and help and therapy for the things that you know are lurking right there beneath the surface. And as a, as a guy and as a girl who's single, um, I prioritize having fun. I prioritize career. I prioritize all these great things in my life over those hard, challenging things. The discipline. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, which is what I would just call probably sanctification, right? Or maturing as a true believer, as a true man of, of Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I often tell people, if you don't have that one or two, you know, friends, those one or two friends that you can actually say, can you point something out in me that might need some growth and they're not willing to answer that, you need to prioritize getting that kind of friend. I mean, because totally. that's a, most people, I mean, again, I, I jokingly say I'm almost, well, it's, you know, marriage is going to be rough because the other person is going to have all these problems, but personally, I'm just amazing. So what, you know, what am I going <laughs> to have to work on? And I, you know, I say that jokingly, but it is true. We think that of ourselves. We're like, well, I'm, I'm great. I'm okay. You know, I'm, I'm healthy, whatever. But without someone else saying, hey, here's something that I've noticed or something that I feel like you're excessive in or something, you know, whatever. Totally. We, we need that mirror. I think that's great. We're very good. We say this all the time. We're very good about being honest with each other. You won't believe what she said to me. You won't believe, but we're very, very uh, bad about being honest about each other. Mm-hmm. Hey, I love you. But this, the other day that happened, <laughs> yeah. was not okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. And I think so much more of you yeah. than that. And that, mm-hmm. that takes work and stretching to get those things said. Mm-hmm. So. For sure. All right, next question. Our listener wants to know, how can I cope with the dating pressures at a Christian university and when they use phrases like a ring by spring or your money back? <laughs> I feel like this question you can, you can pull into the church environment. You can pull into mm-hmm. so many environments where there's just the pressure that you are less than if you were a single adult. So speak to that. Yeah, this is a big one. And it's it's unfortunate that this is a message. And I don't think a lot of churches or Christian universities like mean to necessarily put this kind of pressure on people. But even if they're not saying it, there's like this inadvertent um, message that we get because we see a lot of marriage ministries and kids ministries and marriages celebrated and kids celebrated. But when was the last time you just did a massive celebration for your single friend that got an epic job? Like we, we don't really do that, but we will show up for that bachelorette or for that baby shower and we'll show up at, with bells for the wedding, but we're not showing up for single people. So there's just like these inverted messages like, hey, people who are married or who have kids, um, that's more valuable and that's more celebrated in the kingdom when it couldn't be further from the church truth. And so I think what you have to do is really tough, but you have to rewire your own thinking outside of what pressures you're feeling from other people or what messages you're getting. Uh, because if you look biblically at the New Testament and the way Jesus lived his life, Jesus was he loved marriage, but if you really study it, he was more interested in making disciples of nations than he was even in just perpetuating the idea of marriage. And not that he wasn't interested in marriage, he was, but it just wasn't like the number one top priority. Jesus literally was like, hey, my goal and mission and our goal and mission should be to live for the kingdom of God, to make disciples of nations. So I think we need to get back to, hey, that's the point here. Um, And singleness can certainly be an avenue where we have more freedom and time to make disciples of nations and be like a Paul who was also single and did incredible things. And so I think it just comes back to like rewiring that for ourselves and not putting that pressure on ourselves. And if people try to put that pressure on us, that's where we have to put boundaries and actually have hard conversations of like, hey, I do want to get married and that's important to me. And 
I'm really loving the season I'm in and I don't feel any pressure because I am thriving in the calling I feel God has for me. And I'm, I'm learning what God has for me if you're younger and in college. And I'm really excited about that right now. So I would really appreciate it if you just came alongside me in that too. Hmm. That's good. Okay, next question. This is about, this is, this is good. The person says, practically speaking, how can you get to know someone before committing to a dating relationship? Sounds like one of those like straddling the, <laughs> like, you know, not, not being too in, but still getting the info you need. So JJ, why yeah. don't you take a stab at that? How can I have one foot in the door and one foot out before <laughs> realizing that they're not who they say they are? Yeah. Well, it's funny. I think one of my favorite phenomena is, you know, you're a young adult, you're in a community group, you've been there for six months, nine months, 12 months, and all of a sudden, uh, that girl who maybe when you walked in initially, who didn't catch your eye, starts to catch your eye. And you've heard her answers at small group. You've seen the way that she just diligently serves on a Friday night. You've seen how consistent she is, how selfless she is. And all of a sudden, you've gotten to know her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you've gotten to observe her character, especially without any kind of, uh, you know, what I would call just evaluation uh, bias, which is typically what happens in dating. You know, we start uh, crossing physical boundaries. We maybe make out with them, something like that. That blurs your evaluation process, right? You start feeling feelings that you probably shouldn't be feeling for a person. Um, So I would just say the best way is just to do life and community with them like you're normally doing. You know, marriage is just friendship on fire. And so as you build that relationship, what you're really building is friendship. Mm. And then when you date someone, you're just kind of throwing a romantic sprinkle in there. But it's just friendship on fire as you progress. So I'd say the tried and true way, the best way that time is shown is get to know them as a friend and community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're hanging out with them one-on-one, you're dating them. I mean, yeah. you are dating That's them. That's one thing we say. We're like, hey, don't get into <laughs> friendationships, which is a friendship that feels like a relationship but with no definition to it. <laughs> right. So if you are hanging out with them one-on-one, if you're confessing all your emotional feelings to them, if you are talking late at night, if you're flirting with them, that is where you're probably actually dating them, but you don't want to call it that. So you have to be very clear on friendship versus I'm actually trying to pursue something romantically with this right. person. Mm-hmm. And so friendship is getting to know them in a community setting, setting, which can be beautiful if you have the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. Okay, question about the fear of commitment, because this person says, you know, the fear of commitment in marriage is very real sometimes. What have been some ways you've learned to overcome fear? <laughs> <laughs> That is a very lighthearted So I'll let JJ do this because we teach and and talk a lot about attachment theory, which is just the ways we attach in love. And I lean more anxious in that department and JJ leans a bit more avoidant. So I would say the avoidant um, people out there really do fear commitment. So do you want to speak to this? Right. And anxious is maybe that more clingy personality or friend that you have. And like the, I, I see, I only see all the green flags. Every red flag looks like a rose, like a rose colored glasses. <laughs> and I just like commit right away. That's what an anxious leaning person does. <laughs> right. And then avoidance kind of self-explanatory, right? Yeah. Um, so commitment might be harder for someone of my background and personality. I'd say at the end of the day, um, one, the fear of commitment uh, and marriage, there's a healthy fear in that you are making a big decision that should be for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. That should not be taken easily. Okay, so that there is a there is a shred of truth in there. That is a wonderful thing, but at the end of the day, you know we have to have courage to step up, and that courage starts in the small areas of your life when you're having a conflict with someone. Hey, I'm going to have courage instead of running away, instead of backing off, instead of just profusely saying sorry and throwing myself on the floor, I'm going to have courage to actually speak up. I'm going to have courage to stand in this situation. And so I would just say in that situation, Mm -hmm. overcoming fear in relationship, just understand you're never going to be perfectly ready. You're never going to be perfectly perfect. Like there is a degree where you are jumping off that ledge, right? But you have a whole entire support system that you've built with counsel, the Holy Spirit, your relationship with Jesus, like you're not doing it alone, Mm -hmm. Um, which is what I would finish it off with is do not do it alone. And at the first sign of a red flag, don't run. Get curious, like ask questions. I think people who have fear of commitment, 
they usually they're looking for things and reasons to run away. Right. And that the first sign of an inconvenience or a conflict or something that's not ideal, they're like, okay, didn't want that anyway. Bye. <laughs> mm-hmm. And to clarify, you know, we say a red flag is not a deal breaker, right? We all technically at the end of the day have a red flag or a few. A deal breaker is something that, yes, you should run away. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's actually a great segue into the next question we have from someone, which is really about doubting that someone is the right choice. And so they're wondering, like, what is a good reason to break off a relationship? And when do you stick it out to stay curious and see if you need to know more? Yeah, so I'll be honest that two weeks before JJ proposed, I had a freak out and I was, I almost broke up with him. (laughs) So um, this is part of our story because I was starting to see all of the differences in us. And I was really, really taking a hard look at, hey, this is going to be our life. There's going to be challenges. We're very different. We're very opposite. Like, he is not a clone of me. (laughs) He's not a little Kate. You know, he's like, JJ, very, very different species than me. And I that was starting to freak me out, because I was realizing what would this might look like. And so But I also had to recognize that I struggle with anxiety and I struggle with anxious attachment and I might go back and forth sometimes with my decisions, especially with anxiety. So I think the important thing for me and for somebody in this position is it's totally okay if you have some fears before getting engaged. I would say there's three layers and the triangle of peace that we call it that you need to assess. We call it the triangle of peace. So the first layer is, do you have peace between you and the Lord? And this is where you are asking the Holy Spirit, like, Holy Spirit, what? where are you leading me? Do I feel peace here with this person truly, like in my gut? Is this just my past trauma coming up? Or is this you speaking to me saying, hey, this is not a safe place. This is not good for you. So that's layer one. Layer two is, do you have peace with that person? Meaning, are you guys both on the same page? Do you want similar things? Are you guys moving towards the same thing in life? And do you both have peace and are on the same page about that? And then the third layer, which we think is one of the most important and overlooked, is peace and mid wise counsel. And I think some people rush Christian relationships and they just make the the decision based on those first two layers without the wise counsel. And they're like, we're getting married. And I think the wise counsel is there to help you in those moments of either calling out some major red flags that should be deal breakers and alerting you that this is not good for you. Or in my case, my counsel was like, hey, we totally hear you. We've seen JJ over the last year consistently, and we can confidently say that he is the right man for you. We're hearing from the Lord. We're studying him. We know you. And we can confidently say, like, we say yes to this. Um, and and that also, like, affirmed so much of the questions that I had. Um, and so I think some people take out that third layer of peace, and I think that's a really important part of the process. And wise counsel, by the way, shouldn't be everybody, okay? It needs to be your most trusted resources of wise people, older people in your life, not just all your friends in small group and, like, all your friends in college. Like, this needs to be wiser people that are speaking into your life. Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay, well, that's interesting, because I actually want to ask a person's question that's a little bit the flip of that. So mm-hmm. maybe struggling with the opposite of wanting to get to a marriage mindset too soon. So mm-hmm. our, our person asks, you know, several podcasts talk about dating phases in this order, getting a date, then the first date and how to navigate it. And then they skip to engagement and wedding prep advice. How do you avoid shifting too quickly to a marriage mindset when you've only been together a couple months? <laughs> well, if you're from the Bible out in the South, you've heard this since you were born, uh, which is <laughs> dating is not a destination, right? Like you're not just supposed to date, date, date for fun, fun, fun. You got to be intentional. You got to be clear. Mm-hmm. You have to keep the objective in mind. But I think, Kate, you have a really awesome way to think about dating and stages that really helps clarify what you should be doing and when. Yeah, I think the word dating encompasses a lot of different definitions. What does dating mean? Does dating mean exclusive? Does dating mean I'm going on dates? Does dating mean this is my boyfriend or girlfriend? Does dating mean courting? Like what in the world does dating mean? And we all have a different definition for what it means. So the way we like to break it down is single dating relationship, engagement, marriage. 
instead of it just being single, dating, engaged, married. So the dating phase is the phase before you get into a serious relationship. It's that building friendship, assessing if this is the right person for you, and really asking some hard questions. And usually we suggest dating for about 60 days to maybe 90 days, where you're going on dates, you're getting to know them, and you're seeing, hey, do I know enough information to want to commit to being in a serious relationship with this person? Where then in that relationship, then we're committing to working towards potential engagement together. And that's where we can like identify, because if you're just talking about dating, (laughs) it's so like, where does this all stop? What does it mean? Like everyone has a different definition. So if we can set the playing field and say, hey, dating, you're supposed to be getting to know them on a friendship level. You're going on dates, 90 minutes dates. You may work up to a little bit longer um, as you get to know them and maybe a few hours as you get to know them 60 days in. You're at the end of that time introducing them to core people in your life. You're getting to see what those core people think of them. And then you're making a wise decision to say, hey, I know enough information to want to be in an exclusive committed relationship. And then in that committed relationship, I'm asking even harder questions about to see if I want to get engaged to this person. Mm. And so that's how we assess the, or can, I think, more clearly assess those different stages without it getting so confusing. Yeah, no, that's good. All right, last question. I can't believe how quickly we run out of time. This is crazy. We should probably do like another seven weeks or something, but we'll have to do that in the future. Okay, um, JJ, I'll let you take this one because I think this is like every woman listening is going to be judging the guys on this. So you're going to have to answer on their behalf. So this question is about physical attraction and physical beauty. So our listener is saying, I feel like church is the hardest place to date because the physical beauty standards there are higher than in other places. This is obviously their perspective. Is this normal or not? And what should Christians do about that? Yeah, I, I'm i sorry that that's been their experience. I really am. Um, you would actually think and hope and pray that for every Christian, the place where physical beauty matters the least, without a doubt, is the church. Mm-hmm. Because character is everything, right? Fellowship and their relationship with Jesus is everything. Mm-hmm. But that's not always the case, I understand. Um, I think if I had to break this question down to stereotypes, this is probably a female frustrated with guys who seemingly only act chase after the most beautiful woman in front of them. Um, And that's typically what we see as a stereotype. Uh, We men maybe operate with a binary, like they're hot or they're not, is what happens in their mind. And if they're, quote, hot enough, then they'll want to ask them out on a date. And if they're not, then they won't even bother to get their their name or who they are, where they're from, uh, their character or anything that's Mm -hmm. important about them. Um, The Tim Keller thing was right. right. So, you know, Tim Keller tells a story about he was officiating a wedding and this groom had a female as one of his groomsmen or groomswoman. He said he was so upset and it was not for the reason that you think because theologically having a woman in your bridal party was so, you know, against what he thought. He was so upset because that man and that woman shared such a rich and deep friendship and he was marrying a sex object, someone he just considered so beautiful he couldn't resist. And Tim Keller says the best spouse, the best partner for him was standing on the wrong side of the altar. She was right behind him. And we see this over and over again. I think we just get so stuck on the physical beauty and that binary check that we just forget the whole point of marriage is to build a friendship, not sexual relationship, right? You're not marrying a sexual object. And so um, I'd say it's totally normal. I think like men defaulting to that thinking uh, is totally normal. I I think it's exactly what I would expect a man to do. Um, But men don't need to just be called out on that. They need to be showing with the relationships around them, that you are far better off choosing Leah than you are Rachel, right? I just, I cannot get the that story out of my mind. Mm. Jacob gave us a perfect demonstration of what it looked like to be infatuated with their beauty and their looks and have that be the only thing that matter and the consequences and devastation that follows uh, marrying for beauty. Yeah. No, so true. And I think it is, I mean, it's encouraging when we can see guys who are willing to receive instruction on that. And women too, because I think, you know, in women, you could fill in the blank with like 
their portfolio or their bank account or whatever, whatever their height. Yeah, whatever women get tripped up on. Yeah, we have our own (laughs) stuff too. So I think that's a great opportunity. And and two, this is where I love. I remember um, one of the guys in my church telling me how it was an older guy at church, one of the older precious ushers at the church, who kind of called him out and was like. I see that like you could be a great fit with this woman. You need to ask her out and stop looking around for all the stuff that hasn't walked in this door yet when there is someone right in front of you. And I want to give you the assignment to take her out and get to know her and then report back to me. And it was like a year and a half later, those two were married. So, Amen. uh, I love it. Because he took the challenge. Tim Keller says, you know, his biggest issue with singles is they walk into a room and there's 20 capable, eligible, awesome potential partners, and they'll write off 17 of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Right because off. of one attribute, looks. right? Yep, right off the bat. And so, yeah, I, but it's a it's a very old story that's gone back to even Bible times, yeah. <laughs> as yeah. we see, uh, and it's it's not a surprise. So I just say, you know, be encouraged. Know that you only need one person to choose you and say mm-hmm. yes. You don't need a crowd yeah. to affirm you and choose you, right? Yeah. So true. Good word. All right, folks. Well, that is it. We have to end here. But again, I want to remind you that you can check out the Heart of Dating podcast with Kate and JJ. Uh, Just go to boundless.org, search for 831. We will have links available there, as well as our free download of the Boundless Guides to Marrying Well. One for guys, one for girls. So hopefully you can check that out. Get some good info there. And again, just boundless.org, search for 831, and you will find out all that we can share about JJ and Kate and what they have going on in their ministry. And so um, make sure you avail yourself of that. So thanks you two so much for being part of this. This is awesome. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much. Folks, we are opening up our inbox as we finish out the show, and I get to answer this week's question, which is really fascinating. Um, Our listener is asking, many churches seem to completely lack any kind of ministry that caters to singles in their late 20s and above. Assuming that I don't personally have the time to kickstart this kind of ministry myself, how do I get my church to start ministering to us older singles? Because I'm kind of tired of every sermon, Sunday school lesson, Bible study, etc., being super targeted towards couples and parents. All right. (laughs) Thanks for your question. I know this is hard. Sometimes when we get into church and feeling left out at church, it can be pretty frustrating and you feel like you're alone in it and feel like, ugh, where do I even begin? So I thank you for writing in this question. Um, This is actually why I so often when I speak on college campuses, especially Christian college campuses, I say, hey, look around you, y'all, because never will you be in a circumstance with more like-minded, headed in the same direction, generally healthy, hopefully loving Jesus people as you are right now. It really is tough once you get into your 20s and then your later 20s and you're in churches and you're moving around for your career to build community and to find those like-minded people. So I I feel you. I mean, this is this is hard. Um, now, I know that you said in your question that, you know, assuming that I don't personally have the time to kickstart this kind of thing, you say you don't have time, but you may need to make some time. And I'm not talking about kickstarting like you have to be super entrepreneurial and start an entire ministry around this thing, but you're going to have to be willing to dig in and invest and maybe be part of the solution here. Uh, in part, 
because you're just the one that knows what the needs are, specifically your own, as well as probably some of your peers. And then secondly, and this sounds kind of harsh, but honestly, it's not necessarily the job of a church uh, to curate and staff ministries for every demographic. Um, And I know sometimes it's easy to say because we feel like, uh, yeah, they're doing it for all these other people, and it seems to be on the regular, but not for us single adults. So I hear you on that, too, and I know it is hard. But at the same time, churches have to pray and prioritize where they're going and where they're spending their money and they're investing their ministry dollars and staff and all that. So it's just hard. Sometimes it can feel like a catch-22. That said, a few ideas for you. The first suggestion I have is get involved. And get involved, I mean, not in starting a big old ministry, but just getting involved by showing your face in your church, okay? If you're just going to be hanging on the fringe, people aren't even going to know that you're there, that you care, that you want to be invested, that you care about fellow believers and members of the body of Christ. So show your face and pitch in. So again, this doesn't mean, you know, you have to build a big singles ministry to to make that community, but it just means that, you know, you might be the person that can actually just kind of start fostering some relationships in a certain uh, in a certain demographic. And I would say, you know, you don't even need only community with other singles. You need community. And so you might find that in a few other places. And so be open to that. And again, just be part of the body of Christ first, and then you can figure out the single component as you go along with that. So to that point, point number two, rally other singles around you. So I'm saying start small in this. Maybe it's just making a friend. Maybe it's going out to dinner with someone. Maybe it's grabbing a few singles in your church and going out to lunch after church. But you kind of start building that community and that kind of critical mass, even though it is pretty small to begin with, and you're going to be able to bounce ideas off of one another and share kind of pain points and be encouraged uh, by one another. And I think that really makes a difference. And so, you know, again, this doesn't have to be a big official ministry, but it's just kind of looking in one another's eyes and saying, I see you, you're here, I'm here, we're kind of, you know, we're in the same situation and life stage and all that and just be known and allow yourself to know other people. Point three, go beyond your church if you need to. I hear this from a lot of single young adults who are frustrated because they go to a super small church. That's okay. No pastor is going to penalize you for doing things with other churches that might have vibrant singles ministries. Now, that doesn't mean that you just, you know, blow off your church. If you're committed to your church, you go there, you worship, you plug in, you give to that church, you serve there. But maybe across your city or across your community, there are a few churches that could band together to do things for singles. If that's a small group or a Bible study or maybe some weekend activities, don't be afraid to maybe go a little bit beyond your circle that you're looking at. And then finally, and probably the most important point is pray this through. Okay, prayerfully speak even to your leadership. Just again, if you want to humbly give some ideas, that is totally legit as well. What won't work is going to your pastoral staff and saying, you guys are a bunch of jerks because you don't do anything for us and you obviously don't care about single people. That's not going to get anyone anywhere, okay? So you pray about God (laughs) bringing some relationships into your life, maybe bringing some solutions, and then get advocates around you, whether it's church staff, whether it's other people in your church, whether it's some of those fellow singles that you're going to get to know. And most of all, you get God on your side uh, to show up and know that he cares about your heart. He cares about you being in community. He cares about you having friends and being connected. And so know that he will be the best person to solution this for you. And so be encouraged in that. I hope you will be and maybe take a little bit of initiative, especially now as we're in a new year. Super exciting. Uh, There's always some hope in that. And so I will just uh, pray to that end on your behalf as well well. So you go forward and and do that. So thank you so much again for writing. Well, all right, folks, that is it uh, for this week's show. And often, you know, we like to kind of find ways for you to connect with us and engage with us. And I don't know if you know, but you can hop over to Apple Podcasts or even now Spotify and leave a review and or comment about your experience with The Boundless Show. And we would love it if you would do that. So maybe just share what your favorite part of the show is, how it has blessed you, how it has maybe helped you move the needle in your own maturity. And that will maybe inspire 
other folks to give the show a chance. And even sometimes we can cultivate some community by even having shared experiences in that. So if you'd be willing to do that, we love reading them. We read every single one. And uh, then again, inspire others to do the same. So in the meantime, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org from Focus on the Family. It can be challenging to inspire your community to see life the way God sees it. So what's the solution? Well, on June 15th, Focus on the Family is hosting Sea Life 24. And no matter where you are or who you are, you can be a part of this free event with speakers like Ben and Kirsten Watson and real stories about choosing life. Sea Life 24 will inspire you to translate your faith into action. Register today at sealife24.org.